Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 6, that's the passage of scripture we're going to be in today. And I want to talk to you about the power and the problems of a promise. The power and the problems of a promise. As we are looking at this incredible season in the life of the children of Israel, this period called the wilderness wanderings, from the book of Exodus all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, it's all based on promise. Maybe I could illustrate it for you this way. Back when Autumn and I were newlyweds, we're pastoring our first church in southwestern Pennsylvania. We're about an hour south of Pittsburgh. We had some really good friends that lived even south of us down in Morgantown, West Virginia. And one holiday season, our friends were traveling. They're traveling across the country. And uh, the wife was traveling by herself with her three-year-old toddler daughter. And they asked us if we could come to the Pittsburgh airport and pick them up. Sure, we'd love to do that. Not a problem. So we go to the Pittsburgh airport. We pick them up. And this mom and this toddler had been traveling all day. They had had delays. They had had detours. And they were just traveling they were weary they were worn out and I'll never forget they got into the back seat of our Honda Accord not a very big vehicle at the time and this trip would normally take 90 minutes but it was going to take longer because there was snow and ice on the roads and by the moment they got in that car in the back seat and they strapped the toddler girl in her car seat she began to scream at the top of her lungs out mommy out I want out out mommy out I want out for over two hours, she screamed at the top of her lungs, and it didn't matter what the mom did. And I can remember equally as vividly the mom just leaning over and patting her on her cheek and saying, sweetie, it's going to be okay. I promise you, we're going to get home, and I promise you, then you're going to get out of your car seat, and I promise you, everything's going to be okay. And that's the problem with a promise. Isn't a problem of a promise is that it's meant to help us in the moment, but it's all about the future. Have you ever been in a situation where you've just cried out to God, out, God, out, I want out? There's been something miserable going on in your life. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe there's just something spiritually going on and you just feel like you're in bondage and you're under this kind of this yoke of oppression and just like, out God, out, I want out. Well, that's where we find the children of Israel today. When the children of Israel cry out, out God, out, I want out, God hears their cry and he begins to act. And so I'm gonna ask Pastor Woolridge to read from Exodus chapter six, verses two through nine, Exodus six, two through nine, and I want you to listen and I want you to put your it might not be much of a stretch, but I want you to put yourself in the position of a person, the position of a group of people who simply are crying out to God, out, God, out, we want out. Listen to what God promises, listen to what God says, and then listen for their response. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. 
So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. The church is meeting your home right now. Would you take the next few moments to read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 22 together and pray that God would reveal himself as we get into the message today, where God would reveal himself of who he is and how he works. Take the next few moments right now to read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 22 together. Did you hear the promises of God? God promises four specific things that he's going to do them at the beginning of this journey. And please understand, we're at the beginning of the journey, the journey where the people have cried out, out, God, out, we want out. And God heard their cry and he is going to do something. In fact, he begins to do something and he begins to raise up a rescuer. We see about the birth of Moses and we hear the call of Moses. And now Moses is working and Moses doesn't know what to say to the people. God tells him what to say to the people and he goes to the people and he tells them exactly what God wants him to tell them. And it says the people did not believe Moses because they were discouraged and broken in spirit because of their harsh slavery. They wanted out so bad and they cried out, but they didn't think the promise was ever going to come true. They were tired of waiting. Why were they tired of waiting? Because the best I can tell from the time they cried out in chapter two, uh, and we see that God is, Moses has been born. Moses is 80 years old when he finally goes to Pharaoh. 
80 more years they're going to have to wait, 80 more years for God to begin this delivery process. And so they find themselves in this power bondage, but God had made a promise. And that's one of the problems of promise. Sometimes we have to wait for it. It's meant to help us in the in the present, but sometimes we have to wait for it in the future. Let's talk about a promise for just a minute. A promise is a declaration that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing is going to happen. One will do a particular thing or a particular thing is going to happen. Most of the time, promise is a good thing, right? If somebody makes a promise and it's a bad thing, we call that a threat. But most of the time, the promise is a good thing. Amazon Prime is going to deliver in two days. Domino's are going to deliver in 30 minutes. Or your, your pizza is free. Politicians are going to work everything they can for the benefit of the middle class. And sometimes promises that people make come true. And sometimes promises people make fall, fall far short from ever coming through. And so we don't know what to do with promise. But why are we talking about the power and the problems of a promise because Exodus is a book that starts with a reminder of God's promise. And part of the problem that we don't understand that is because of the name we give to the second book of the Bible, we call it Exodus. But that's not the name the Hebrew scriptures give to the book of Exodus. The Hebrew scriptures take the title of the books of the Bible from the first words of that book. So the book of Genesis, we call it Genesis, but the Hebrew title is beginnings, in the beginning. That's the first word in the book of Genesis. For the book of Exodus, the first word is, these are the names. Names. These are the names. And so immediately, if we understand that that's the beginning of Exodus, these are the names. And we look, and it gives us the names of the 11 sons of uh, Israel. And we begin to understand, hey, these are the same names that we saw exactly in the same order back in Genesis chapter 35. And they're listed out for us again. And they are the sons of Israel. Only gives us 11 because the scriptures say there in Exodus that Joseph is already in Egypt. That these 11 sons came down. And we understand that these are the sons of promise. God chose Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I choose you and through you the nations of, I'm going to bless you and through you the nations of the world are going to be blessed. We found that we're blessed to be a blessing. And then the Abraham is blessed. And Abraham passed is the blessing on to Isaac, and Isaac blesses the, ble the blessing on to his son Jacob, and Jacob wrestles with God, and his name is changed to Israel, and he has sons, and these are the literal, literal sons of Israel, and these are the people of the promise, and the book of Exodus opens, these are their names, and we were reminded these are the people of the promise, and God had given them a promise, and so we're tied back in to this unbelievable promise. And as we see this promise is beginning to grow, and in order to have a, a, a nation, you need land and you need people. They still don't have the land, but they do have the people. And verse 7 of Exodus 1 says, The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them, and everything seems to be going good, and the promise is going to come true. These are the names of the children of Israel. These are the people of promise. And so we have to tie back into that promise that God is going to bless them, and through them the nations of the world were going to be blessed. But then we see a problem with promises sometimes times is that people try to try to thwart promises, even the promises of God. People that don't understand the promises or the plans or the purposes of God sometimes raise themselves up against the promises, the plans, and the purposes of God. And this happens with the king of Egypt, the, the Pharaoh, verse 8. Exodus 1 says, Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, didn't know all the things that Joseph had done, didn't know all the things. And he doesn't know this because there's about 400 years between the time uh, Genesis ends and Exodus begins. He doesn't know uh, the children of Israel. He doesn't know the story of Joseph. He doesn't know how Joseph was used to keep uh, Egypt thriving and to, to, to care for the famine over all of the land. 
But the king of Egypt that's now there doesn't know Joseph, and this is all he sees, verse 9. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Did you see that they put burdens on them? They made them bitter. They they made them work hard, ruthlessly as slaves. And the people of Israel got to the point where they just say, out, God, out, we want out. We are people of the promise and we want to understand and we want to receive the promise that you promised our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, out, God, out, we want out. And they found themselves weary and tired and anxious and burdened. And while our circumstances and our setting and our geography is not exactly the same, I think so many of us at the beginning of a new journey and beginning of a wilderness experience that God is taking us into, uh, we need to cry out and we need to understand the power and the problems of the promise because we're weary and we're tired and we're exhausted. In fact, the words some people are using of we're over it. They didn't know how much longer they can go on. And I hear people talking, I don't know how much longer I can go through this pandemic. I don't know how much longer I can endure. We're tired of everything. We're tired of, of tests and quarantines, not being able to find tests. We're tired of, of shelves not having the food on them that we want and empty shelves and rising prices. We're tired of masks and mandates and we're tired of of canceled plans my friend i'm tired of it this is the second christmas in a row we weren't able to be together my family wasn't able to be together we had plans we had made plans to all be together and the day before our youngest daughter was supposed to travel she tested positive for COVID, and she wasn't able to be with us and i'm tired and i'm weary and i'm worn out got out got out i want out of this situation i want out of this setting i don't know about you but so many people they're tired of, of zoom meetings and online learning and virtual everything they're tired of showing up at jobs understaffed and underappreciated we're tired we're weary and there's just this sense out God out we want out but so many times when we want out we become impatient discontent and fearful and it leads us to places that God doesn't want us to be and these people are going to have to wait what is it seven decades eight decades for Moses to finally be ready to go to Pharaoh and do what God calls him to do I think about this wilderness period and I think about beginning this journey and I think about how so many people are weary. And I read this quote from sociologist Christian Smith just a couple of weeks ago and he says this, that a defining characteristic of current high school juniors and high school seniors and all college students is a deep, all pervasive despair about both the present and the future out got out we went out and I thought about this and I thought about how how so many high school students juniors and seniors their entire high school experience has been interrupted by COVID everything that they had hoped for everything that they had longed for hasn't turned out the way that they thought it would be and think about your high school experience and think about how formative those years were and how fun those years were and these students have had everything interrupted and these college students the same way and they're living with this desperate deep despair about the present and about the future but I love the fact that sometimes when we want out, God raises up people who are willing to endure. God raises up people who are willing to fear him more than they are to be fearful of the setting that they're in. In this passage of scripture in Exodus chapter one, as people, as the Pharaoh begins to, to try to thwart the promises of God, he says, let's make them slaves. That doesn't work. They continue to be fruitful and multiply. Then he says, let's kill all the baby boys. And he gives the charge to the, to the midwives. He said, when the Hebrew women give birth, if it's a boy, you kill them, you throw them into the Nile. And if it's a girl, you let them live. But look at verse 17. 
when it says this, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, feared God, he gave them families. I am so thankful that when so many of us are crying out, God, out, we want out. There are some people who stand up and fear God more and say, we will do what God calls us to do in the midst of a situation that is unpleasant, unfamiliar, and uncomfortable. I was thinking about the midwives as I was thinking about the teenagers of today. And just before New Year's, Bottom and I, my wife and I, we went to a, a community night hosted by a group that calls themselves The Well Effect. They're a group of teenagers from across the Miami Valley who have committed themselves by their own mission statement to say we commit ourselves to spreading the gospels through small small groups and community nights. And I love this. And we went to that community night and we went to that worship service and I watched those students who live among a people among their peers who are filled with despair about the present and the future and they say not us. We will worship our God. We will serve our God. We will grow as disciples. And I love the fact that in the midst of the cry of a whole lot of people who say, out, God, out, we want out, there are some people who stand up and say, not us, we fear God more. And I love the fact that these teenagers, and it's not just the teenagers, but they're leading because they understand they are people of the promise. My friends, we are people of the promise. Are you ready to hold on to the promise? But it gets to the point when all these uh, efforts of the people to thwart the promises of God don't work. You get to this, and we saw this last week in in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We said last week that this space that God's getting ready to take us into, when we find ourselves in bondage, when we find ourselves in slavery, when we find our spirits broken and crushed, and we don't know if the promise is ever going to come true, God simply says to us, cry out, and they cried out, and it says three things. It says, uh, God uh, heard their cry, he saw their need, uh, he saw their misery, and he knew. Let me just put it to you this way in very practical practical terms. God hears us, so we should pray. God hears us, so we should pray. He wants to hear what's on your heart. And that little girl in the backseat of my Honda Accord knew her mommy heard. And she knew her mommy could answer. And she cried out, out mommy, out I want out. God hears our cry, so we should pray. Secondly, God sees our misery so we should trust my friend this isn't about god's provision this is about god's vision this is about the fact that god sees you that god knows exactly what's going on he's not caught off guard he is not surprised he has his eyes on you in fact the scripture saying in another place that the eyes of god roam to and fro across the earth looking for someone whose heart is completely devoted to him god is looking for people who even in the midst of saying out god out my heart is completely his god hears so we should pray god sees so we should trust and then it says god knew and because god knows we should wait the way god wants us to wait no matter how long he wants us to wait and waiting isn't sitting idly by twiddling our thumbs waiting is active involvement in the task at hand and god wants these people to prepare themselves for the victory that he already has in store for them and so even though people are people of the promise and they want out and people try to thwart the promises of god god has a plan and god has a purpose but here's what i want us to do let's get back to Genesis 6 very quickly and let's look at the four specific promises God made because as they're about ready to begin this journey from the land of slavery to the land of freedom and they're going to end up in between they're going to spend some time there and we're going to decide and discover why they had to end up there for so long 
But as they begin this journey, God tells them, here are the four things I am going to do for you up front. These are my promises, not just to give you a land, not just to take you there, but here are the four specifics. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. Listen to them, four verbs that pop out to us. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, I will deliver you from the slavery to them. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great, great acts of judgment. And number four, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for the possession for I am the Lord. God says four things. Here are the promises that help us in the present, but they're gonna be fulfilled in the future. Number one, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This, my friends, is about relief and comfort in the midst of overwhelming oppression, this burden that we're bearing. This, this idea says, I will bring you out from the burden. The burden is a picture of a load that's being transported, a load that's being carried. These people are carrying the heavy load of slavery. These people are carrying the heavy load of harsh treatment. And God says, I will bring you out. His picture is, I will give you relief. I will give you comfort. I will take that burden that you bear and I will place it upon myself. My friends, one of the things we have to understand as we begin this journey through the wilderness is that we cannot extricate ourselves out of the oppression and the burden. We cannot do it alone. So many people, when they find themselves in the in the yoke and under the burden of sin and under the burden of addiction and the burden of so many things. I'm just going to do this myself. I'll figure it out. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. But this story tells us we cannot get out of this burden, out of this oppression on our own. God has to bring us out. I love the fact that this word, I will bring you out from underneath the burden. My friend, it's the same exact word that's used of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 that says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was a suffering servant. He's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. And we need to invite the process and we need to understand that God will bring us out. There is relief, there is comfort, it's coming. You just need to wait and you need to trust. Then he simply says, Secondly, I will deliver you. I will deliver you from, from the hand of the oppressor. I will deliver you. This is about rescue. This is about victory. This verb that I will deliver you, it talks about the power of one energy, in, entity to completely overcome and destroy to completely overcome and destroy another entity. And that's what God says. I have the power to overcome and destroy the one that holds you in slavery. I will completely deal away with him. My friends, it says if God enters into this cosmic battle, that there's a story that's bigger than what's going on, that just the people of Israel moving through the land of uh, the wilderness. This is a story that begins in Genesis when an enemy comes in and an enemy who's attacking his desires to steal, kill, and destroy. And God and through his word in Genesis chapter 3 says that enemy is going to bite at your heel, but the servant is going to crush his head. God has the ability to completely destroy and, and overcome the one who holds you oppressed. My friend, this is the ability to be completely delivered. Full victory over every false deity must occur. That's why there are going to be 10 plagues. Every plague deals with one of the gods of Egypt, including the God of Pharaoh. And God is just saying, you cannot trust any other God besides me. Let me say it again, the full victory of every false deity must be completed before real redemption can take place. And so I just wanna know, are you finding victory over every false deity in your life? Is there some small God in the back of your closet that you're holding on to that you're trusting? My friends, they all must go, they all must be crushed, they all must be destroyed. Deliverance requires extermination. 
of every false god and every false idol in our lives. And God says, I will deliver you. He said, I'm going to deliver you by the power of my outstretched arm. Across the world this week, and as many people gather to worship, at the end of their gathering, they're going to lift up their right arm and they're going to lift up the pinky on their right hand. And they're simply going to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we would add, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they lift up the right arm and they lift up the right pinky to say, God delivered us by the power of his outstretched arm. And all it took was the power in his pinky to completely destroy every other false God and every other false entity. God says, I will bring you out. I will refresh you. God says, I will deliver you. I will rescue you. Then he says, I will redeem you. He says, I'm going to release you. I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to give you forgiveness. Very quickly, I just want you to know that this talks about relationship. The word that's used here for I will redeem you, it's talking about a kinsman, a relative that comes in and pays the price that you can't pay. You're in slavery and you can't buy your way out, but your relative has the price. He has the money. He has the resources and he's going to buy you out of slavery. He's going to pay the price that you cannot pay for your release, for your freedom. It's the kinsman redeemer. It's a beautiful picture all throughout the scriptures, specifically pointing us to Jesus, the Son of God who loved us so much that he gave himself as a sacrifice to pay the price we could never pay because he is our kinsman, he is our redeemer, a family member that becomes a substitute sufferer. And God says, I will redeem you. I'm going to send my very own son to take your place on a cross, to die a death that you deserve so that you can have life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came so that we might have life. And he came as our kinsman redeemer to, to redeem us, to release us, to forgive us, to provide, to direct us. My friend, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. Those are the three promises. But there's a problem with promises, isn't there? The problem with promises is the promise is only as good as the person who makes it. Many of us, maybe most of us, have been given promises before and they've been broken. Maybe we've been the promise bake breakers. Uh, um, Spouses break promises to one another. Parents break promises to children. Children break promises to parents. Politicians break promises to constituents over and over again. We live in a world where the promise is only as good as the person making it. And so many times we don't trust the person who's making it. And so we don't even trust God who's made the promise. And so I just want you to understand his promise is true and his promise is faithful and he can deliver. That's why he gives us the fourth verb. Not only is it, I will bring you out. Not only is it, I will uh, deliver you. Not only is it, I will redeem you. Look at the fourth promise. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. My friend, this is the language of exclusivity. This is the language of intimacy. This is the language of marriage vows. This is the language that says, I commit myself to you and you can count on me. God says this, I will be the faithful husband, even though I know you will be the adulterous wife. God says on one occasion to one prophet even, he says, I want you to be a living example of how much I love my people. The prophet says, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. And I want you to know that she's gonna be unfaithful to you once you marry her, but that's gonna be a living picture for my people, that I'm a faithful God, even though they're being unfaithful and adulterous and not dealing with all those other gods. And so it's just this picture. I will take you. I will take you. You can trust me. I will take you. I will be the faithful husband. I will be faithful to you. And so I just want to ask you, has God taken you? Have you married yourself to the God of Israel? Is he your true love? Are you? His, is he your faithful spouse? Is he your exclusive partner? Are you disrupting every other relationship so that his your relationship with him can have the primary primary place in your life? Is your deepest intimacy intimacy with him? Has he taken you? Is he your teacher? Is he your tutor? Is he your guide? Is he your mentor? 
Are you listening to his word, studying his teachings, putting them into practice because what he says works? Are you relying on his promises? Imagine the meaning of this simple verb, I will take you. Imagine that it's applied to you. He will take you despite all of your sins, despite all of your failures in the past, and despite all the sins and failures you will have in the future. He says, I will take you and I will commit myself unto you. You can count on me. Notice, my friend, he doesn't promise freedom. He doesn't prob prob problem, promise uh, relief from all our troubles or all of our trials. What he promises is uh, himself. I will take you. And those are the four promises. But I need you to see this. All four promises are based on one thing. Promises are only as good as the person who gives them. And he tells them who he is in verse Exodus 6, verse 6, 7, and 8, he uses this word, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. You will know that I am the Lord, I am the Lord. And in your English Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it's one of the most interesting, most confusing names of God that we have. In fact, it's the name that God gave to Moses way back in Exodus chapter 3 when he speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Moses is going to say, hey, when I go to the people of Israel, I say, who, who, who do I say sent me? We get the name I am. That's how many of your translations translate it. I am. It's uh, the four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Va, He. It's Yahweh. And, and there's so much misunderstanding. There's so much confusion over this name of God. And one of the reasons there's so much confusion is because it's not a noun. Tell me your name. He doesn't give us a noun. He doesn't even give us an adjective. When he says, tell us your name, he gives us an action-oriented future verb. I think the best way to translate that would be, hey, tell them will be sent you. <laughs> will be. I will be, will be sent you. Think about that, will be. I will be exactly what you need, will be. You wanna know what the name of God is? Let me ask you, what's your need? That's what he will be. Rescuer, deliverer, guide, friend, comforter. He will be. You know when Moses was told he would know that the promise was true? When he finally got the people of Israel out to the mountain, they would worship God when they would celebrate the feast in front of him. They didn't know that the promise was going to be true until the promise had been fulfilled. Until then, all they could do was trust. And who were they going to trust? The one who said, I will be. I will be everything you need me to be. I will be everything that you need. But Moses gave them this promise of God, verse chapter 6, verse 9, and it says, Moses spoke, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. They chose not to listen to God. And that's the choice we have to make. Earlier in chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their head in worship. My friend, that's the choice. We can bow our head in worship, or we can simply not believe. Out, God, out. I want out. And you can continue to scream at the top of your lungs and not trust your loving Father who says, I know what's best for you. I know what keeps you safe. I know how to get you safely to where you need to be. Or you can just continue to scream at the top of your lungs or you can bow your head and worship and fall asleep and rest. The choice is yours. But here's what I want to end with. Back in chapter 3, this chapter 1, it says these are the names. These are the people of promise. When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, he calls him by name. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, I'm going to go over there and see why this bush doesn't get consumed. My friend, what if the burning bush wasn't a miracle? What if the burning bush was a test? And what if you and I stand at that brink when God calls us by name and he simply says, I am God, I am good, will you trust me? I'm giving you this promise and you're not going to know its fulfillment and and until that moment when it's finally fulfilled and in the middle all you have to do is trust me my friend God calls us by name and what Moses understands is when God calls us by name 
God sends us out with his words to speak and his work to do. And at Miami Valley Church, we've concluded it this way. The words where our speak are Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. The work we're to do is to love God and love others. We put it this way. Our verse for the decade has simply been Psalm 37, 3, trust the Lord and do good. And we find ourselves at the beginning of this journey as a church family, as individuals, but as traveling together, that God's taking us somewhere. We don't know where, but he's promised us something that's better. And we've cried out, God out, we want out. And he's like, okay, we trust my promises. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And I will take you to be my own. Will you trust me? Friends, here's what I want to ask you to do. Where you're sitting in the house church you're with, I'd like you to say this together. He's God. He's good. We will trust him. My friends, he's going to deliver you, redeem you, bring you out, and take you to be his own with the power that's only in his right finger. If you find yourself today crying out, God, out, I want out. Will you trust the words of your heavenly father who knows what's best for you and how to safely get you where he wants you to go at the beginning of this journey together? We say he is God. He is good. We will trust him, almighty God. In these moments, we bow our heads in worship. You're God. You're good. We will trust you. And while we trust you, we will take your words to do the work you've called us to do, to do good. May it begin in our hearts, move to our homes, into this, into our neighborhoods, into this valley, into the ends of the earth, as we trust you and do good. In Jesus' name, amen.